It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.
is this? I don't know. It's me. It's Amid the Ruins. It's a guy who makes dire wave music. <laughs> it's Amid the Ruins. Dire way, dire music, way. music. What I've talked about in you know probably a hundred articles of Jay's analysis is the implementation of the AI smart grid and the giant smart cities, which is what IBM talks about publicly building. And that's where we're going, and that's what I think we have to be really concerned about. So all of these tensions, they are part of a long-term strategy to basically get everybody moved into megacities. Uh, they'll be forced to, they'll be forced off of land and so forth for environmental reasons, and basically concocted and invented environmental nonsense. Then you'll be stuck in some hellhole megacity in a, you know, basically a carton-sized apartment living over a Target or something. Oh, baby, yeah, we about to do this. It's about that time. It's actually true. Now there's actually Target. I'm getting hyped up. I'm getting hyped up. I'm ready now. I got, I got my spiked part. Like it's 1993, I got my braided belt cinched, looped over underneath, pulled tight as heck, like a damn corset so I can't breathe. And that helps me debate. When I, and I got my Golden Girls shirt, which we were going to give out to anybody that bested me in debate, which as you can see, I'm wearing because we didn't get beat. <laughs> That's right. Remember, we offered this uh, shirt to Robert Taylor if he could best us, and I autographed it somewhere on here, but that never occurred. That never occurred. But you know if I show up with my Golden Girls shirt and my parted hair with the spike, like 1993, and the braided belt looped over and cinched tight as heck, you're in for trouble. We even got the whiteboard, baby. Even got the whiteboard. <sighs> now, people ain't clicking on my mafia talks. And that makes me sad. And that means I'm going to have to come visit some of y'all. I need y'all to like and share this stuff. You know, how the, you know how this machine works? You know how these robots work? They're not our friends. And they don't give notifications as... And the thumbs is up and the beep bop boop bop like they're supposed to. These robots is a lie, dog. These robots is lying. So I need your help to fight robot lion and like and share and click the notifications, bro. Y'all not going to get notified because you don't have this little thing clicked. Click your thing. Click your little thing. Which golden girl? You? I'm Blanche, baby. I got the fire of life in me. I got the juices of life flowing through my veins. That means I'm Blanche, baby. Blanche right there. Now, I didn't know that uh, Dr. Craig 
had done his debate with Dick Dawkins, but uh, scrolling through the de- the debates, right, looking for these, you know, two, three, four, five, six million view debates, which are the best, I found this, and it's an old, looks like a dang Japanese game show in Brazil. <laughs> I'm not joking. If you go watch this video, what the heck is going on with this goofy show, dude? They've got, I'm not kidding, they've got, I took a screenshot of it. Where'd it go? Did I, did I lose that screenshot? No, here it is. Look at this stupid stuff. They've got sound effects. They've got Richard Dawkins and Michael Shermer. Pow! Like it's a Batman comic book <laughs> versus William Lane Craig and some other random nobodies. Whoosh! This is ridiculous. I mean, I'm not kidding, by the way. There's like smoke and light show and they debate standing in a ring. It's like a Japanese game show, but it's in Brazil or somewhere. It's this video is crazy. So I started watching. And I was like, what is this? And no, I don't drink. I don't know. People always say we do drunk, right? That stream where I was mad from the crypto crashing with Jamie. The dude drunk. I don't drink, dude. This right here is straight espresso. 100% straight espresso. I just naturally spurg out, dude. Can you not conceive of that possibility? So we are going to cover this debate. I, as usual, have not covered or heard this debate. I gave it about five minutes to see what I was getting into. And apparently it's an all-star cavalcade of weirdos, right? I'm talking about before William Lane Craig comes on, right? So we got William Lane Craig and Dick Dawkins doing their thing and these other cameos of weirdos. So the first guy is going to get up and do his weirdo cameo, which I'll be critiquing. I don't know who this person is. Never heard of him. I don't think. Uh, I didn't even catch his name, so I'm not sure. who. He didn't look familiar to me. But... Uh, so I don't know where this debate's going to go. However, given that this will be the third Crag debate that we've covered, Krang! <laughs> uh, makes me think of Krang, right? Ninja Turtles. Krang! Right. Um, I'm, I'm not expecting things to go in unique ways. I'm expecting the same old. But who knows? We, we, we got some science boys in the house, right? Some little science creatures, some lab coats in the house that are going to be popping in. I'm not on my stream, I'm on this goofy stream here to uh, make arguments. And he starts off, whoever this guy is, starts off with Voltaire. So again, this video is weird. Uh, it's a Brazilian Japanese game show <laughs> that's a debate between William Lincoln and Michio Kaku. Michio Kaku. He shows up, too, with his Gandalf uh, gray locks. Right? He's got like a medieval hero's hair, but it's white. It's, it's wispy white. He's got, the, he's got the same content. He's got the same hair thickness and content as Hulk Hogan's mullet, which is to say just a thin wisp of air hair. But nevertheless, Michio carries it well. He carries it like he's a damn space prince. He is prince of space. 
By the way, if you've watched Mystery Science Theater, then you know that Prince of Space is a Japanese science fiction movie. That was like 10 levels of joke right there. Like you had to be, you had to be deep on my stuff to know that, right? But Michio carries it well. I would say he's Prince of Space and Tom. Man, that dude knows how to conjure up freaking black holes, dude. Did you know that? Did you know Michio Kaku can literally, with like just a calculator and a few Bunsen burners, literally create a black hole? He's like MacGyver of science. He's he's the prince of space. So he makes a little pop-up appearance in this debate. But this is going to be interesting. So I don't really know what, what, what to expect. But let's get into it with no further BS from me. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for those super chats. If you don't know, right, the way to support this stream is that you little people ask me, the big e-celeb, your questions via the Streamlabs. That's a joke, by the way, before people try to expose me. Dire exposed. There's the Streamlabs, and you type in your question on the Streamlabs, and then you send me your Bitcoin zillions, and I answer your questions. It's a it's a really easy, simple process. I get rich, you get your questions answered, right? I get zillions, and you create palaces for me from the money that you send me on these lying robots. The lying robots, right, are like our new mafia people that we got to pay a protection fee to. Pay me your protection fee. I will give you one-tenth of crypto. What's it, What would be a, a Sicilian robot? How would that sound? Sicilian robot. Pay you me, you're a crypto one now. Sicilian robot. A made Roboman. Anyway, let's get into this. This is Dick Dawkins and William Lane Craig. But the first person that comes out, this first cameo guy. Again, this whole setup is bizarre. It's like... How are you gonna how are you gonna have a battle of the heavyweights and try to put this in a it's like American gladiator suit. I was gonna say UFC. It's not even UFC. It's like imagine William Lane Craig and Dick Dawkins in a, in an Amer, American Gladiators episode. <laughs> Uh-oh. Imagine if William Lane Craig walked out in a bunch of smoke like he was on uh, WWF or WE, whatever that shit's called, right? Like he'd, he'd come out with a Diamond Dallas page and drop the, the Diamond Dallas page on him. That would be good. That would be awesome. Six minutes. You got that? Six minutes. Do you need warm up or something? No. Welcome. Please. I want to begin with a joke. Uh-oh. <laughs> there were four engineers sitting in a bar discussing with Get ready. Don't let your neck go into a cringe pain because I know you I know you're going to be cringing when you hear this. This I guarantee this is going to be terrible. Subject of God. And the first engineer said, uh, I have been looking at the genome and I have concluded that God is a genetic engineer like me. And the second one said, I've been looking at the skeleton and I've concluded that God is a mechanical engineer like me. And the third one said, I've 
be looking at the brain, and it's clear that God is an electrical engineer like me. And the fourth one said, I'm a civil engineer. I know that God is a civil engineer. How do I know? Because who else would put a waste disposal pipe through a recreational area? <laughs> oh, I'm British and I've made a peep in a poo-poo joke and oh, it's, really, it's really hilarious because it's fecal and it's grow and it's butt-related. <laughs> and it misproves the design argument. Now, th this is interesting because I can already tell, right? This guy is going in the direction of saying that design doesn't actually exist in things. It's this thing, right, that we impose on the world, right? And this is what we've known ever since the Enlightenment and David Hume, blah, 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 right? We already know where this is going. And once again, as if nothing has happened in 300 years, we have to hear the same old debate of the 1700s debate, right? The, it's as if nothing has occurred in philosophy or apologetics, such that we can move beyond the way this was debated in the 1700s. <clears throat> we're going to have to have William Lane Craig present the natural theology arguments once again, and we're going to have to have Dawkins and whoever this person is <clears throat> talk about how design doesn't actually exist in the world. The world is purposeless. The world is uh, uh, not given any inherent intelligent telos or meaning. And that's already, I can, we already know where this goofy thing is going, don't we? In Voltaire's novel, Candide, Here we go. there is a shipwreck in which... Uh, if I just present the problem of evil for the 5,000th time... Candide and Pangloss and their friend Jacques are, are shipwrecked in the harbour of... Has nobody surpassed Reddit-tier stuff? Like, even at this PhD level? This is Reddit-tier stuff. I mean, it's like... Lisbon, just before the Great Lisbon Earthquake. And Jacques drowns. And Candide is upset about this, but Pangloss explains that you don't need to be upset because Lisbon Harbour was created in order for Jacques to drown. The 1755 earthquake at Lisbon was very, had a huge impact on Voltaire because he saw people argue that there must be a purpose in something like an earthquake. Else why would it happen? And that what the purpose must be to punish Lisbon for its sins. So one of the problems with this line of argument in terms of theodicy is that it tends, and we actually had a guy in the, the Discord the other day going down this route, it tends to assume that the human limited vantage point, if it can't know every possible potential purpose, then there is no purpose. Right. So in other words, well, how, how could there be purpose in animal suffering? How could there be purpose in uh, droughts and famines and cyclones? Right. That there's no, there's no purpose in those things. And so therefore, if you can't give me a an exhaustive explanation of a purpose for every single possible event and uh, bad disaster that happens, then there's no purpose. Right. Because purpose, the argument goes, is therefore arbitrary. Right. So if something bad happens that's the punishment of God. If something good happens, then that's proof of God. And mutations and things that are sort of aberrations in nature are also uh, just selectively chosen, right? We saw this move in, I think, the Hitchens-Craig debate, right? Hitchens was saying that the, the data that you select to say is purposeful 
in the natural world is arbitrary because you ignore the data that suggests mutations and chaos and that it's not purposeful, right? Now, on a natural theology basis, that's correct. It would be arbitrary, right? Because there's nothing that tells us from the outset that, right, what, how to interpret uh, things in the world like death, right? Is death a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it natural, right? Natural theology doesn't know. And it tends to, to say, yeah, death is just natural. It's part of the natural process. Because I look out of the natural world, my autonomous reasoning tells me that death occurs, right? Predators and prey. Uh, so why wouldn't death be just as natural a principle as life or the generative principle, right? And so this, again, we are back at the same old problems because it's, it's as if people don't think any progress in the, the questions of presuppositions and worldviews and paradigms and philosophy has at all occurred, right? Everything froze at the time of Bishop Butler and David Hume, and it's never progressed since then. And, and really, they don't even give cred to David Hume. I mean, if you're an atheist, I mean, David Hume is really the most consistent one, right? So again, this is just so frustrating to, um, again, just hear the same old things over and over. Every debate is literally a representation of every debate from the 1700s. He wrote in his poem, Was then, was then more vice in fallen Lisbon found? than Paris, where voluptuous joys abound. He was attacking the philosophy of theodicy, Leibniz's idea that all is for the best in the best of all possible worlds. Oh, this reminds me too, uh, we kind of touched on this, I think with Father Deacon, we, we were joking around, shout out to everybody in the chat, uh, Father Deacon, uh, Norwegian News in the chat, we were actually making a joke about this line of argumentation in the Discord the other day, which is that, oh, well, purpose is just arbitrary, right? Because, uh, uh, an apple fits into a, uh, you know, gas tank. Uh, so therefore apples are made to go in gas tanks, right? Or the orange fits in the tailpipe. So the purpose of an orange is to stick it in the tailpipe and ha 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 play pranks on your friends and their cars don't start. Uh, but this isn't really, I mean, it, this is a valid critique of the natural theology approach to teleology, right? As if, there's just a brute factual prima. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. 
Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Fascia way to know that, well, this has, uh, you know, about, it's about the size of a, <laughs> of a tailpipe. So therefore, uh, oranges are made to fit in tailpipes or, you know, golf balls. I don't know, whatever. Um, and hence his joke about the buttholes, right? The pee-pee and the poo-poo. Uh, well, it fits in there in some cases, so therefore that's its purpose. But this is, well, on many levels, this is actually not a very good argument because it wouldn't work against someone like, you know, people on our side of the fence that don't accept natural theology. Um, it does have a point in terms of critiquing natural theology, which is to say that, you, you don't prima facie know the purpose of a thing, right, by just simply looking at it and what tallying up its physical properties and traits, right? I mean, how is that going to tell you the purpose of the thing, right? So purpose is a metaphysical principle that extends beyond the sense data. And this is why the natural theological conclusions are usually non sequiturs. It doesn't follow from it's round, it's one pound, it's, you know, uh, sweet to the taste, uh, therefore, it's uh, made to fit inside tailpipes, right? That's a, a, a non-sequitur, uh, which is correct, because you can't do the tallying up of the traits that gives you the purpose. Purpose is a metaphysical principle that's going to be connected usually to the use of the thing, the pragmatic use and value of the thing, which is kind of subjective in some cases, right? And so, therefore, you can't divorce the value judgments from the data, uh, in terms of what the natural theology proponents are trying to do with this information. But at the same time, the people who try to do the atheist attempt at rejecting teleology presuppose teleology and logic and all the things that they're using to do this critique. So neither side in this bad argument gets off the ground. And Voltaire points out with this satire in Candide, the kind of muddle you get into if you look for purpose in everything in the world. So why do we think there is a purpose? Because there is a pattern. And I think we've been misled into, into mistaking a pattern for a purpose. We don't have good words to describe how this pattern comes about. So we get into a, a, a verbal confusion trying to understand it. But it's clear that things have function in the world. It's clear that our brains are for thinking, uh, and it's clear that there is progress. There is progress in evolution. We see larger and larger animals and more and more complicated structures appearing on the earth. Yeah, well, he's already made a huge mistake, right? So here we have a guy from uh, the science world, right? And the people in the science world know nothing about, 99% of the time, the philosophy of science. This guy doesn't even know. Totally clueless 
unaware that what he just said was packed with metaphysical baggage. Okay, so he's appealing to things that are totally metaphysical in nature. We know that evolution displays progress, complexity, right? There's nothing about something having more cells or having more molecules that means it has progressed, you see. The same critique that he's going to make of purpose will apply to his critiques of pattern or, or his claims of patterns and of progress. This idiot doesn't even know that patterns and progress are just as much metaphysical assumptions, categories, necessities, presuppositions for intelligibility as is telos, the very thing he's trying to attack. Right? So this guy's already just totally he would you could easily refute this right away get set back by disasters but then again you get a gradual incremental improvement in the way that life operates and so that a, a, a creature would defeat its ancestor of a million years before and you see the same in economics you see this you see why this is all question begging we're better we're better than the, the descendants defeating the uh, new species is a progress right it's better you're winning those are all value judgments. Value judgments are not given to you from data, right? Data doesn't tell you whether the data is good or bad, right or wrong, right? Every one of these scientism goobers comes to the conclusion that there are all of these oughts that you can derive from, from an is. And again, this is simply not the case. It's very easy to anybody who's philosophically literate to point out that there's nothing about a list of, of, of so-called facts or, or traits that gives you an ought or an is. But we've already got multiple claims that are uh, unjustified and inco inconsistent with the metaphysical attack pattern that this guy is on. The same in human society. We are experiencing progress. Technology is advancing. Uh Again, what? <laughs> We are experiencing progress. So we are appealing to these generic metaphysical things as if this is just, oh, we all know that progress is happening. Well, what does that mean? Right? There's nothing about having more iPhones, more televisions, more flat screens, more nanotech that inherently proves or shows or demonstrates progress. Perhaps it's all regress digress it's arbitrary this is silly to just say these things. oh we all know that having more iphones is progress what how do you get progress from a bunch of matter matter in motion matter configured in different configurations that's all reality is oh that's progress no you're using a metaphysical category that's just as stupid and magical on your worldview as purpose do you see the the silly basic level mistake this guy has made progress is just as much superstition and magic and nonsensical on his grounds on his worldview as is purpose as is telos by the way as are patterns <laughs> he thinks he thinks we do recognize patterns what is a pattern 
Oh, this thing is uh, like that thing, even though they're two different things. Okay, what is the uh, nature of the likeness between those two things? Because it's not identical to the matter over here. It's not identical to the matter over here. Now you're in the domain of metaphysics. And this guy doesn't even know that, right? Because the scientism crew are utterly ignorant 99% of the time about any of the basic philosophical points and concepts. Uh, in my lifetime, smallpox has been extinguished and the cell phone has been invented. In my lifetime, the living standard of the average person on the planet has trebled the income of that person. Child mortality is down by two thirds. Why is that better? So there is an arrow. I mean, half the people that he's, uh, uh, I mean, actually most of the people that have the worldview that he's coming from, right? Him and his Royal Society crony uh, Dawkins, they believe that most of the planet should be depopulated. So what's he talking about? <laughs> Infant mortality has uh, gone down and that's progress? What? Uh, talking out of two sides of the mouth as usual. There is a direction, but there is not a destination. Because these directions could go in almost any direction. You could, you could throw them off into any way. And how does this come about? Well, it comes about through a bottom-up process. It's not Here we go. a top-down process. We've made that discovery. This guy really likes pee-pee-poo-poo, uh, doesn't he? He's once again, and we're back to the bottoms. <laughs> the bottom-up. It's bottom-up. He likes bottoms-up, definitely. Adam Smith and Charles Darwin and people like that stumbled upon this idea at the end of the Enlightenment that there is, it is possible to have order without ordaining it. That well, uh, it's not, though, because the very people who are arguing against telos also have to be consistent as many atheists are uh, to take the further further step to say if there's no telos in the world inherently out there in the world then there's also no order don't you see the lot like that's what follows if the world does not inherently possess design and order or excuse me a uh, purpose then it also doesn't possess order the so-called ordering mechanism that you think is out there in the world is just as illusory as purpose. Just as illusory as the patterns that you think you're recognizing and cataloging, right? Now, am I saying that we don't recognize patterns? Of course not, right? Every time we make this critique, get this argument going, people think, this guy thinks that there's no patterns in the world. <laughs> what a coomer idiot. <laughs> I didn't say that. I'm talking about this dude's worldview. That it is possible to have, in a phrase, emergent order. And it's one of the most beautiful ideas that human beings have ever come up with. Yeah, well, this is just an ad hoc rescue, right? So there's not uh, a designer who orders and designs the world. There is just emergent order within. Uh, so in other words... I don't care about the fact that something can't come from nothing. Consciousness doesn't just come from nothing. It does. It just comes into being. Even though there's no observation that proves that. There's no evidence to suggest that things just pop out of existence. Oh, wait, by the way, there, there is now. Uh, there's this whole burgeoning domain of uh, quantum physics where uh, everything is and isn't at once. Things pop into being and also are not in being at the same time. Oh, you see the move here, right? It's a, it's a bait and switch. Okay. So uh, at the same time as there's no metaphysics, there also is every possible 
metaphysic because of the quantum foam, baby. Quantum foam makes, makes it possible for anything to be the case, right? But just as we embrace the idea that we can have an ordered society without having an absolute monarchy, that democracy can work. We didn't used to think that in the 17th century. We do think that now. So I think... Uh, do we? <laughs> I don't know who he's talking about. Maybe him and the rest of his cronies that utilize uh, these uh, bogus social engineering uh, projects and convince uh, you know, the dumbed-down masses that democracy exists or works. Uh, but come on, dude, really? This is all... Notice the... Here we go with these sort of emotional appeals. The, the, these This crowd loves emotional appeals and rhetoric. And the reality is, and I'm not just saying this without evidence, this is what, the fifth or sixth multiple hour stream on these uh, famous debates that we've done, right? So I, I have a lot of experience in debate, okay? I, I will leave it up to you guys to, de to determine how effective and good you think I am at debate. I'm not going to say that, but I do have significant experience of debating a lot, 20 plus years of debating. And I can say that having debated many, many academic professor atheist types, right, over the two decades, um, most of them uh, are, are terrible, utterly deficient and ridiculous at debate. I mean, they're, they are the worst, right? We saw this with uh, uh, Hitch. I mean, not Hitchens, with Harris, right? Remember how Harris's response to Craig was literally nothing but emotional appeals? A child, a child dies tonight somewhere in the world because of my church, my superstition, somewhere in the world. And meanwhile, these people all believe in, you know, a, a abrasion, right? So, I mean, it's just like, dude, come on, uh, give up this bullshit emotional appeal that, that uh, we, we all know is fake. To embrace the idea of emergent order rather than top-down design. The idea that as people uh, interact together and as life interacts as... We should briefly deal with this. And actually, uh, Father Deacon Ananias uh, has quite a few poignant critiques um, in, in some of his stuff of the idea of emergent order and uh, that, that sort of matter can just sort of self-organize, self-organizing matter, right? So uh, we know that we, uh, we need the placeholder of what God performs in the theological system of Christianity and theism, right? But we don't have that. We've thrown that out. So now we got to have all of these metaphysical things that don't make sense in a materialist paradigm. How are we going to have that? Oh, just smush it all into matter. Matter causes itself to have purpose. Matter causes itself to come into being. Matter self-organizes. Matter just causes consciousness to come to be matter just gives us all of this progress it's preposterous it's total absurdity it's insane it's insane actually i mean it's literally it's hard for some people to even think that this is what is at the top of academia right i mean People are under the impression that the academic world is all of these, whoa, you know, oh, oh, no, they're a bunch of fools. The wisdom of this age is foolishness. So what's, a pro what's one of the problems that I would critique about this idea that emergent order just sort of comes out of matter itself, right? It's, it's not a 
There's no um, universal power principle or absolute, no concrete absolute, nothing like that, that functions to be a reference point or a grounding for the particulars of the ordering, right? So that's why he's saying that we don't need a top-down notion of emergent order or order or uh, ordained ordering, he says, right? So in other words, if we... Um, wanted to characterize it just uh no this is not an illuminate confirmed uh drawing here i'm just illustrating this with like his his characterization of the two different views right so uh in in the traditional paradigm um the ancient medieval world christianity right the world is structured the world is ordered right whether you're a platonist whether you're aristotelian whether you're even a, a polytheist right or a Christian, in a generic sense, the structure of reality is this, right? There's um, the lowest levels of reality and, and humankind and so forth. There might be angels, there might be gods, there might be metaphysical principles. And then there's, you know, God, the one, whatever, up here at the top that sort of, in what, whether it's creation or whether it's just a hierarchical structure of reality, reality is structured in this kind of a way, right? And so therefore the whole is ordered by the principle at the top. Okay, I'm not saying that that means that natural theology is true. I'm not saying that we believe Platonism. I'm not saying that we're Masons because it's a dang triangle here. I'm just saying that this is a commonality amongst the uh, general structure of how people in the ancient and medieval world uh, understood reality to be structured. And the reason that the whole was structured that way was again because of this right so this is what he means by the top down and so the the the, the principle at the top is what orders the whole even though within the whole there might be the appearance of you know disorder here disorder here disorder here right the x's being the disorder we may not know the um specific instances as to why there's disorder here or disorder here or here but in terms of the whole because we don't have the whole picture we can still uh posit right that there is still meaning and structure even for the disorder right and i think that in a sense without going too far with this argument you could make the, the case that um um, chaos or disorder does assume order right it's a privative uh, parasitic notion that relies on the principle of order so you couldn't even talk about disorder without order right uh, or in statistics right we have randomness randomness presupposes that there's also order by which to distinguish the randomness right so these are kind of like just just sort of basic philosophical um, correlations that seem to require one another now over here in this position that he's positing the chief problem that I'm going to know, well, first of all, uh, these are metaphysical concepts, right? What has this guy talked about? Purpose, evolving, progress. None of this stuff is material. None of this stuff is given to you in sense data. There's literally nowhere in a, an amalgamation of sense data that you can find the value judgment of progress or, or that we have evolved, right? It doesn't exist. You see, that's an interpretation of the data. So first of all, he's wanting to do a little sleight of hand with you, which he doesn't even realize, which is to reinterject metaphysical principles. But at the same time, turn around and say, we don't do metaphysics anymore. That doesn't exist. That's medieval stuff. 
Uh, that, we don't do that anymore. We just do the data, right? We do the scientific data. Excuse me. There's no scientific data that's telling you what progress is, right? Or giving you value judgments. Obviously, there is no ought from the fact that there is an is, right? The, the way things are doesn't tell you the way things ought to be. Especially not from just bare sense data, right? But another more uh, devastating problem, well, that's pretty devastating, but an equally devastating problem for this mistaken bottom-up position of emergent order is this idea that uh, because we've jettisoned this, really all we need is to just look at the, the immediate bottom-up uh, sense data and it's going to just kind of give the, the, the inner uh, appearance of order, right? So again, we don't really know if the order actually exists in these things, but we're going to, the way they typically talk is that we'll treat it as if it does, right? So they're not, they're going to, they're going to say, we're not interested in the metaphysical justification of these things. We'll just act like there's order in these things, right? Even though there's not, we'll act like species exist, even though they don't really exist. Those are just taxonomical classifications. And so then... Uh, here's the problem, right? So let's say we are beginning to classify um, these things from the bottom up. First of all, this position doesn't allow you to have any claim about the whole, you see. Because first of all, this is a position that starts from sense data. It's an empiricist position. So it's a severely limiting position in terms of the information and data that you can have. So it literally cannot, literally cannot make any kind of holistic universal claims, whether you think they're justified or not, right, on the older position. This one literally can't do that. It's impossible. So it It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause, and MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply actually can't tell you that there is no order it can only say that it's it's not known or unknown right even though at the same time they turn around and say like they act like they know that there is no order right but order is just kind of this principle that's kind of working itself out from within in certain cases and there's a lot of see the x's there's a lot of disorder going on in here too but perhaps we're moving from a world of pure disorder chaos that's evolving to order right and this right well so pure chaos is kind of evolving up into greater and greater levels of complexity but now wait a minute as we saw a minute ago greater levels of complexity is not the same thing as order as with everything in this position it's an interpretation of the data. This position from the outset already tells you, you cannot know if things in the world out there are actually themselves ordered or are, are ordering. You don't actually know if that's the case. You can't know that if that's the case. But we'll just act like you can and pretend that you can. But here's the thing is that without, so can I know that, let's say that the white spaces, right? The black spaces here represent disorder. The white represents order, right? Let's say as we're going up the pyramid, right? We're going to act like there's there's more and more. Right, so there's more and more. The, the black here representing the disorder, the white representing more and more, quote, order as we move up, right? The tax, the, the classification of reality. What is it, the principle that I'm appealing to? Right to classify the white things as order, right? In terms of the patterns, this is pattern recognition, right? What am I appealing to? Let me make this goofy thing smaller. What am I appealing to that is the common principle or trait or essence or well, you don't believe in essences, but What's the commonality between the things that are white and ordered and the things that are not ordered? The problem is that anytime I start to list the properties that I think, right, they are going to be, again, arbitrary interpretations that don't actually tell me if this thing shares it in common with this thing. And in order for me to say that there is a common, that, 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 that this pattern of A, B, C, D, E, of events or objects in the world, that that, that pattern is ordered, means that there is some 
universal thing that it has or possesses. Even if I just think that they're traits, right, and I don't think they're actually in the world, I'm still positing that that there's at least the appearance of some commonality. But even if you were to restrict this to a pure appearances, which, by the way, is preposterous, it means the whole worldview is, doesn't tell you anything about the world, but they don't actually care about that. They're not interested in that. The point is that there still appeals to things that are universal, that are metaphysical, and this is a fundamentally an anti-metaphysical position. What is the thing that is the pattern, right? So you can't do top-down ordering or bottom-up ordering without the ability to abstract or to know or to predicate commonality. Commonality of what? Oh, uh, these 10 things are birds. So what, what's a bird? Uh, feathers, uh, ways about this, uh, uh, two legs. Uh, okay, so, but the, the, this set of molecules isn't this set of molecules. What is the thing that's common between them? Exactly, right. Oh, it's a pattern recognition. Pattern of what? Pattern of recognizing blank. What? What? What is pattern of what? Because you can't just list off the things that are, in this case, right? This bird. Oh, he's got feathers and he's got a beak. And okay. And then what's the unique aspect? Oh, he's got feathers and he's got a beak. Oh, really? But that was the same thing. You see. So one and many. This is the problem of the one and the many. Does this system escape? metaphysics and the problem of the one the many by just simply positing that we're throwing out the concrete absolute organizing principle on this way on this side of the thing we just throw that out and then uh it just does it itself this is a bait and switch don't you see how absurd and ludicrous that i mean at least this paradigm makes sense right you might question it it might not always be justified in terms of the different ancient medieval systems, but I mean, this makes some sense as to how there's order, right? At least within this entire perspective paradigm of the, of interpreting the universe, we could see how it's possible to have order. This excludes from the outset, any real order at all. I mean, it's ludicrous. But this is what passes for genius. Like the whole world is organized around this ridiculous paradigm. It's, it's amazing. As genes interact, you can get patterns emerging which are fascinating and which solve problems and which produce functional order. No, they don't. <laughs> they, they, it produces a functional order. It produces patterns. None of those things give this guy what he thinks it gives him. It's just restating. It's like saying... We know that matter has meaning because there's matter with meaning. It's basically what he's saying. And symmetry and beauty and all these other wonderful things we see in the world. Symmetry, beauty, but there's no purpose. So the symmetry and the beauty, which is the pattern recognition, isn't actually in the world because there is no purpose. There's no, there's no actual commonality between the things. This is like just like literally one sentence is refuted by the next sentence. And he just does like a back and forth. 
<laughs> this, this is wild. But there is nobody in charge of the process, and there is no destination. It's a wonderful journey, and we don't know where it'll take us. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you very much. Please, William, it's your turn. Six minutes. I'm grateful for the opportunity to participate in this debate on one of life's most important questions. Does the universe have a purpose? And in today's debate, we on the affirmative side are going to defend two main contentions. First, that if God does not exist, then the universe has no purpose. And secondly, if God does exist, then the universe does have a purpose. Let me say a word in defense of each of those contentions. First, if God does not exist, then both man and the universe are inevitably doomed to death. Man, like all biological organisms, must die. And the universe, too, faces a death of its own. Astronomers tell us that the universe is expanding, and as it does so, it grows colder and colder as its energy is used up. Eventually, all the stars will burn out, and all matter will collapse into dead stars and black holes. There will be no light, there will be no heat, there will be no life. Just the corpses of dead stars and galaxies ever expanding into the endless darkness and the cold recesses of space, a universe in ruins. This is not science fiction. As unimaginable as it may sound, barring divine intervention, this will happen. There is no escape. There is no hope. I mean, first of all, Okay. Does anybody really know this? <laughs> I mean, I've heard this stuff since I was a kid, right? Since I was in high school. We all know that the universe is a giant battery and it's going to die. I mean, how do you know that? Really? Right. This is scientific bullshit, right? Could the universe and the sun blow up and nuke everybody? I suppose it could. But do any of these people actually know this? No. But it's been repeated and said over and over so many times that it's just sort of a default thing that somehow we're supposed to just, well, we all know that the universe is running down and it's gonna, the, the sun's going to blow up and we're all going to get cooked. Dude, nobody knows that. <laughs> you don't know that. And there's nothing about the studying of the, of the sun. I'm not a sunologist. I'm not a heliologist, right? I might be sucking on some helium, but I'm not a heliologist. There's nothing about sun studies that's going to tell you for sure that the sun's going to burn out and blow up and we're all going to be cooked. I mean, we, we just don't know that, but... And I don't even care about this stupid argument that much, but how often do we hear the, the science crowd just rattle off the stuff like we all know this? And, and it's kind of a, a, a confidence game. I think a lot of this scientism BS is a confidence game. And it's people just defaulting to what their professor told them. Okay. Um, 
we, we just don't know that. I'm sorry. I just, I just, I don't believe that. And, and why is Wayne, why does William Lane correct? I mean, I know why in a pragmatic sense, because there's a lot that has to do with, you know, just getting speaking engagements and money and that kind of stuff. Uh, and there's a lot more money in speaking engagements and book sales that go into when you adopt all of the uh, paradigm of the unbelieving world, which is essentially what this whole apologetic project does. Uh, yeah, you, you, it's a lot more uh, lucrative, a lot more uh, attention, right? Um, anyway, so I know the pragmatic why, but I mean... Why doesn't he just question? And it, well, if we got to speak to the unbeliever and they're going to consider us, they won't listen to us if we question their scientific dogmas. <laughs> so what? <laughs> Why do you care? I mean, this, the first guy that spoke was, was total nonsense. Everything he said was just complete contradiction. So who cares what these people think? Why do you care what Richard Dawkins? Richard Dawkins is a creep, dude. He talks about eating people. Who cares what Richard Dawkins thinks? On atheism, there is no immortality beyond the grave. And what's the consequence of this? Well, as many atheist philosophers from Nietzsche to Russell to Sartre have recognized, it means that life itself is absurd. It means that life is without objective purpose. As Richard Dawkins has put it, there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no good, no evil, nothing but pitiless indifference. We are machines for propagating DNA. It is every living object's sole reason for being. Thus, if God does not exist, then life and the universe are without purpose. But if atheism fails to provide a purpose for life and the universe, what about biblical theism? According to the biblical worldview, God does exist and man's life does not end at the grave. The purpose of life is to be found in a personal relationship with a holy and loving God. Well, at least in this debate, uh, maybe contrary to the Harris debate, I don't recall in the Harris debate uh, William Lane Craig explicitly saying biblical theism. Now, I think he's inconsistent, but at least we'll give him a little bit of a tiny third of a point for at least saying biblical theism because... As we pointed out in the Harris debate, what's the point of arguing for generic theism, right? Well, there's not generic theism. So he's at least stated the initial statement a little better. But, of course, we already know where this is going, which is just to rehash design arguments. As the Westminster Catechism asks, what is the chief end of man? Westminster Catechism? William Lane Craig is uh, not a confessional Presbyterian. So why is he appealing to this document that he doesn't believe? Uh, this is a little bizarre. By the way, William Lane Craig, as we've said many times, is heterodox. He is an Apollinarian openly. So he doesn't believe traditional Christianity at all. Uh, and he, for years and in print many times, right, defends the Apollinarian heterodox view of Christology, which completely places him outside the bounds of confessional Protestant Christianity, so-called Roman Catholicism and Orthodox Christianity. So he's actually outside the bounds of all classical quote Christianity forms in a generic sense there. Um, but 
this just seems to be lost on like all the people that are, are uh, consider him a Christian apologist? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Biblical theism thus provides the two conditions necessary for an objectively purposeful life, God and immortality. And because of this, we can live consistent. I mean, this would be like an Arian quoting Nicaea against an atheist. <laughs> like what? Right. Imagine a Jehovah's Witness going into a debate and quoting the Nicene Creed about, uh, you know, God is, you know, Father Almighty, maker of heaven. Right? It, was, it just doesn't make any sense. So why is William Lane Craig, an Apollinarian, quoting the Westminster Confession of Faith? This is bizarre. And purposefully within the framework of such a worldview. And thus biblical theism succeeds precisely where atheism breaks down. Now, I'd be the first to say that none of this proves that God exists. But in today's debate, we've been asked to discuss not whether God exists, but whether the universe has a purpose. Uh, what? <laughs> Wait, so none of the arguments that you've given pr prove that God exists? What? what? Are, you a the are you an apologist? What? Why are you bringing a bunch of arguments that don't prove God exists? I got to write this down. That, that was that was a good one. That was a doozy there. So the none of this proves God exists, but that's because our topic of debate today is whether the universe has purpose. And right here we have an insight into the problem of the natural theological quote apologetic the totally failed apologetic right natural theology is ridiculous it's ludicrous it's a failed method and you can observe it right here uh because william Lane craig is going to try to demonstrate purpose without god and the answer to that question is it all depends if God does not exist, then the universe has no purpose. If God does exist, then the universe has a purpose. On this question, there need be no dispute between the theist and the atheist. I think we can all agree with those two contentions as I've stated them. Now, if our colleagues on the other side want to go beyond... Uh, what God, though? Uh, we still... I mean, we had the phrase biblical God, uh, but... What God? On this merely conditional statement and claim that the universe in fact has no purpose, then they must prove that the antecedent of that conditional is true. That is to say, they must show that God does not exist. So what arguments did Professor Ridley give to show that God does not exist? Well, I bet. I don't, I'm not sure I buy this line of argument. And you see this a lot in debates where people, I'm having to think about this one. People try to like debate over who has, who bears the weight of the proof, right? Like, like they debate over who has to prove what in the debate, which is funny. I mean, I'm not saying it's never called for, right? Um, 
for example, if somebody makes an extraordinary claim, then it is, you know, it seems reasonable to say that it's incumbent upon them to prove the case. Um, but their universe has no purpose, therefore God doesn't exist. Does the, does the atheist bear the weight of having to prove that God doesn't exist? Well, doesn't this assume kind of prior commitments about logic? Um, but remember, the natural theology approach doesn't really isn't really interested in looking to the prior commitments or like what other things you're bound by. It just kind of acts like, well, we all know logic's the case, right? We all know that, you know, teleology is. We all know that there's causation in the world. We all know that, right? We all agree on those things. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I'm not saying that he's completely wrong to make this move. I'm just not sure I buy that that the way the debate is framed puts the burden of proof on either person because it's it's oddly framed. Basically heard only one, namely the problem of evil. This is not the best of all possible worlds. Well, certainly all of us need to face the problem of evil and any account of evil must begin with this question. What is evil? I will say that uh, it does seem like you could make, I mean, I, the way I would go about the critique, obviously, as you guys have seen, is to just totally dismantle that guy's presuppositions in terms of metaphysics and epistemology and ethics, which we did. Um, but William Lane Craig is just doing a more direct and not very devastating critique, which, but I, I think that this is a, a, this is a valid question. Like, couldn't you say that if, even if you demonstrated that this isn't the best of all possible worlds, which I'm not sure how as an atheist you demonstrate that, but even if you could, that doesn't lead to the conclusion that there's no God or that God doesn't exist. I maintain that evil is a departure from the way things ought to be. I can think of no more reasonable definition of evil that captures our shared intuitions. But if we agree that there is evil in the world... And uh, proving or disproving what can or can't be the case about evil based on, on shared intuitions, that's not how we determine... Um, evil as a category. That, that's odd. And that evil is a departure from the way things ought to be, then we must... This makes me wonder if that's why the guy who was... Uh, I'm not I'm not knocking the guy, but there was a guy in the Discord yesterday who's a fan of William and Craig was talking about shared intuitions in terms of morals. Uh, no, that's a terrible justification, right? The way that we know or justify or give an account for, for morals appealing to a shared intuition... <laughs> Really? That's like one of the weakest, worst justifications for what morals are I could think of. Now, I'm not an expert on William Lane Craig. I don't I have one or two of his, two of his books over here. I don't follow him regularly. Uh, but if that's something that he appeals to for universal moral norms, that's really weak. Also agreed that there weak is sauce. a way things ought to be. But if there is a way things ought to be, then there must be some transcendent design plan or purpose that determines how things ought to be. And so there must be some transcendent being, a creator in fact, whose will is the basis for how things ought to be. 
and hence evil is actually evidence that God does exist. If atheists are right and God does not exist, then there is no design plan, hence no way things ought to be, hence no departure from the way things ought to be, and hence no evil. Well, actually, I did kind of go down that route, right? So critiquing that opening guy, you heard me make this argument, right? And it's really ironic because it's once again, we see it's like the atheists had never read their own great David Hume. I mean, if they were familiar with basic David Hume, they would know that you can't get an ought from an is. Uh, but they just repeat this stuff like as if, you know, David Hume never existed. But does anyone here really want to claim that evil does not exist? So I don't think we've heard any good reason to think that God does not exist. Indeed, the theist is not committed to Leibniz's claim that the... Um, actually, don't a lot of atheists believe that evil does not actually exist? So that was a weird move. Um, Dr. Craig, that was not a very good argument. Uh, again, appealing to the consensus? Why do we keep appealing to... Does anybody really want to say this? Don't we all agree on this? Does anybody, don't we all believe that there's some kind of evil? Nobody really wants to deny there's evil. These are all fallacies, by the way, like just appealing to, I mean, you could use that for a rhetorical device in a debate, but that's a t another uh, terrible argument. That this is the best of all possible worlds. Now, And by the way, many atheists absolutely deny the existence of evil. So he's like, do you really want to deny that there's such a thing as evil? Uh, yeah, a lot of people do. Time doesn't permit me to develop in my opening statement a, ca a case for theism. Let me simply list the arguments which I have defended in my published work. Number one, God is the best. Now he does this move too in debates, which is, is probably disarming to atheist opponents. And it's useful maybe in a, I wouldn't make this move, but he, we've noticed this from Craig in multiple debates. Did you hear me actually argue for theism or a God? Did you hear me actually try to say I'm proving God's existence? Right, which, uh, okay, I guess technically no, but isn't that why you're here? It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. He does this uh, rhetorical move that throws the opponent off balance, which I guess works, but it's kind of like, isn't the point of this debate to do apologetics? I mean, explanation for why anything exists rather than nothing. Two, God is the best explanation for the beginning of the universe. Three, God is the best explanation for the fine two. So here he's like, uh, I'm not going to argue for God's existence right now. If you want that, buy my books. <laughs> and in my books, I say this, 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 is this. ...of the initial conditions of the universe for intelligent life. Four, God is the best explanation for the existence of objective moral values and duties in the world, including evil. And five, the very possibility of God's existence entails that God exists. If you're interested in a detailed discussion of these arguments... Time is out. I'm sorry. See my book, Reasonable Faith. Thank, Thank you. you very much. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I, I, you say, oh, well, he was just limited on time. Okay, well, he spent the first several minutes of saying that, um, of trying to limit what his side and the other opponent's side had to prove. That was the first several minutes. And then he was like, none of this actually proves God, but the way the burden of proof is on you. And by the way, buy my books. All right, this is, this that was pretty pitiful. That was probably, hit, to date, uh, the worst uh, William Lane Craig performance that we've seen. Michael Shermer. Oh. Well, here we go with an here we go with another cameo of, of cameo clown show. Uh, so Michael Shermer is of course uh, definitely philosophically illiterate. Um, I would classify him as a pathological skeptic. Uh, not a skeptic in the David Hume sense, in the sense of a, uh, let's call him an establishment pathological skeptic, because the kind of skepticism that Michael Shermer will promote is literally skepticism on anything contrary to what the most establishment perspectives are. Uh, and that's how you know that this isn't really skepticism, okay? And And I have my, I can't prove it, but I have my suspicion that that, there, that there's a, this kind of network of the prominent skeptics is some kind of probably intelligence connected thing. Um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. But I think that's what's going on here. This, this is some kind of operation. Um, and I don't say that without any evidence. I can't prove it. But um, definitely with these high profile atheist skeptic people, there's, you know, and again, this is not out of the bounds of uh, possibility when we just look at what things like uh, entities like the CIA have funded, right? Playboy, uh, Miss Magazine, Feminism, all ha- uh, had uh, high level deep CIA funding. That's all admitted and on record now. And so um, I would venture to bet that absolutely these atheist skeptic uh crew crowd people uh have probably high level royal society british intelligence but i mean half the people in this debate are from the royal society so i don't think this is accidental i mean and remember the royal society has foisted 
some of the worst worldviews, the most satanic level, right, worldview stuff on everybody for a few centuries now, right? So if you want to know the center of uh, just evil worldviews, right, it's directly from British Empire. Where's that Rocky music? Now, I think I do remember a Michael Shermer debate from a long time ago. Uh, I've not listened to anything that this guy did in probably 10 years. So I don't remember his shtick. I'm, I'm sure it's very Reddit tier, but let's see. Morning. As Thomas Huxley said, Richard, the good Lord has delivered them into our hands. <laughs> let's remember, by the way, that, that this was uh, a very weak opening performance by William Lane Craig that basically just amounted to uh, the burden of proof is on you by my book. I mean, that was, that was pitiful. So I'm sorry, Dr. Craig, but that was pitiful. <laughs> I am the publisher of this magazine, Skeptic Magazine, by chance, and that's all it is. Our latest issue is on the pseudoscience and nonsense of the whole happiness purpose movement. That is, once you believe that the universe somehow has a design purpose for us and us alone, that I can have anything I want, all I have to do is wish it, pray for it, ask for it. All I have to do? Alls? Alls I have to do? <laughs> like, is he on the playground at recess? Alls I have to do? Like, what? And it will appear, the Mercedes in my driveway, the healing of my aunt's cancer, or miracles to appear. Now, wait a minute. So, here we go. So, I, he, so so he's conflated the idea of purpose in the universe with a bunch of bad examples of people who believe that purpose means that they can magically have whatever they want, right? So, uh, well, purpose in the universe equals Norman Vincent Peale or The Secret, right? If you believe that there's purpose in the universe, you're literally the equivalent of Oprah and The Secret, right? Like, I, so I just want the Mercedes and it appears. Um, that is, that's not an argument. I mean, that, that's not even approaching an argument to, to what, what, what would this be? It's not a genetic fallacy. It's just fallacy of association. I mean, so what? Like if, if every person in the world erroneously believed in purpose as something like in the secret or Oprah, that still wouldn't disprove the notion of telos because that's that's not an argument you see uh this is the fallacy fallacy right what's the fallacy the fallacy fallacy says that if something is badly argued then it's therefore disproven or false uh no it's not the argument is bad but that doesn't mean that what is being argued is necessarily false or not the case right this this is well known and I'm not making this up it's called the fallacy fallacy right because something is badly argued it is therefore false that'd be like me saying well I know that 2 plus 2 is 4 because I had a dream that's, that that uh, 2 plus 2 is 4 
uh, no, that's the fallacy. Or that's a bad reason for believing that 2 plus 2 is 4. Does that mean that because I gave a bad reason that 2 plus 2 isn't 4? No, obviously. So there you go. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I think this is the fallacy fallacy. Upon my wish. That's just pure nonsense. There is not a shred of evidence that any of this is actually true. It's wishful thinking. Again, uh, if I was there, I'd be like, uh, don't you believe in logic? So you just did the fallacy fallacy, right? So you just equated purpose with people that make bad arguments or have erroneous views of purpose. And that's the problem of thinking that the universe has some design just for us. No, However, that's a, that's I'm a, a scientist. Fallacy. I'm willing to look at new data, some evidence. So here's an example, guys. Um, if you could have God grow some new limbs of amputees of soldiers in the Iraq war, Christian soldiers with Christian families praying for them to be healed, I would seriously consider that and changing my mind. So far, this has not happened, not even once. Well, my response to this is, first of all, uh, this comes up in Jesus's ministry, right? So there's a point where the Pharisees say, if you are who you say you are, then uh, do what we say, and then we'll believe in you. If you do the miracles that, uh, you know, we come up with, maybe, mm, you know, float around or something, right? Uh, and Jesus says, no, actually, you won't believe, right? And then he, he gives the story of uh, uh, the of Abraham's bosom, right? And so the guy dies, and he goes to Abraham's bosom, and he says, Lord, uh, I'm here in this uh, horrible place. Let me go back and tell my brethren uh, about, you know, the afterlife because then they'll believe. And what does Jesus say? Does he say, oh, yes, if we could just present enough evidence of resurrections, if we could just pile up enough evidentiary proofs, evidentiary data, then maybe they'll believe. No, Jesus says, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, Neither will they believe if someone rise from the dead. And this is to illustrate the point that uh, your paradigm and the basic presuppositions that you have are going to interpret the data. And so if you don't believe that anything like a resurrection is possible, then every piece of evidence or argument that comes along talking about or trying to demonstrate resurrection is going to be cast aside and reinterpreted. Right. Because your presuppositions haven't been challenged. Right. That's why this kind of this kind of evidentiary argumentation doesn't work. I'm not saying that we don't give evidences. There's plenty of places and times in your apologetic when, yeah, you give evidences. Sure. Evidences absolutely have a place. They're crucial. They're necessary. For one, because Christianity is a historical religion. It's not a religion that's purely abstract. That's, you know, comes out of nowhere. So you do have to use evidences uh, depending upon the, the subject matter at hand. And I'm not even saying that uh, things that point to the resurrection are always wrong. The Bible itself is an evidentiary argument for the resurrection because of the predictions, okay? Because of the predictions of who Jesus would be. And therefore, if he is the Messiah, then, then he's telling the truth, right? Because there's all these predictions that predict his birth, his life, his death, his ministry, etc., and so uh, the Bible is one of the most powerful evidences. And that's Jesus's point in that story is to say that if you want proof, uh, go read all the prophecies. <laughs> they prove it. Apparently, God can't even do 
what amphibians can do in growing new limbs. If there's a purpose, surely we would see at least one sign like this, and yet we have zero. Well, actually, there are many accounts of uh, miracles, right? Now, in, in the world of orthodoxy, right, there's, there's accounts and, and stories of miracles all the time. But do you think that um, uh, Michael Shermer is going to believe or accept any of those? Well, of course not. Right? Uh, any piece of evidence or story or account that came to him uh, would just be reinterpreted right, to fit a, well, they were just superstitious, it's not a miracle, it didn't actually happen, blah, 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 blah. And that's, again, because our presuppositions as to what is possible will determine the way that we interpret the evidence. Okay, so then what is our purpose? We come from stardust. All of the elements of which we... Um, okay, Crowley, I, I mean, uh, Michael Shermer, right? I mean, what? what? <laughs> Don't you love how the um, atheist crowd loves to come up with these, like, inspiring statements, right, that are supposed to inspire you, like, Remember all the memes of the milady, you know, uh, uh, atheist fedora stuff, right? And I am euphoric in this moment of the fact that I am stardust, right? We are all made of stars, right? Remember that stupid video of uh, Carl Sagan, billions and billions, we are made of stardust, right? That song that somebody made about, you know, trying to inspire you to accept atheism and libertarianism and that you're stardust. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it's, I'm meaningless stardust. I'm, I'm the shit of the universe, right? Do you see what I'm saying? That, that like, you're trying to rhetorically portray that we've evolved from stardust as if that's some, significant meaningful inspiring euphoric thing when it's equally interpretable you could equally interpret that as just uselessness right the universe as an abrasion right <laughs> we're just xenomorphs right the alien worldview we're the off scouring of the universe you see what i'm saying it's just rhetorical devices that's all this stuff it, but it works, right? I mean, I mean, people don't go on the basis of good arguments, right? They go on the basis of what works and emotion. Which we are made out of, we're cooked inside stars, coalesced into new solar systems like our We're star puffs, man. We're cooked inside of a star, dude, at the DFT, man. I shot off into the beyond. And I went inside the poo-poo hole of the universe, dude, when I was stripping so hard, tripping balls, dude, and I saw reality in itself. I saw reality, dude. I saw that we are just cooked inside of stars, dude. We're the, st <laughs> we're the marshmallow. We're the, what do you call those things? We're the s'mores of the universe, dude. Oh, my mind is blown, dude. <laughs> Cars, and here we are, complex organisms. For three and a half billion years. Could you imagine being like ancient primal s'more? Dude, you're just like, you're a little bit of Hershey, you're a little bit of damn graham cracker, dude, and you're inside of a freaking star, and that star just freaking cooks you up until you have that orgasmic explosion into being an ape, dude. I'm euphoric right now in my reasoning skills. 
Life has evolved from one generation to the next. Not one broken chain in this long link. Darwin said, instead of finding this to be depressing, as our opponents think, this is a, a grim worldview. In fact, it's an... In so, uh, we can already see what we're going to get from Michael Shermer, right? Uh, how much argumentation? Zero. Zero. This is all rhetoric and propaganda. So, uh, Shermer is a uh, Sam Harris tier argument. This is Sam Harris tier stuff of emotional appeals. It's it, this is like the Jesse Ventura level stuff, right? Right. I don't need God because I don't need a crutch. I'm not weak. <laughs> That's the level of this argumentation. It's an ennobling worldview. Darwin said, when I view all beings not as special creations, but as the lineal descendants of some few beings which lived long ago, they seem to me to be. So you're like the elite of the apes from 11 million years ago. <laughs> So, see, this is not a demeaning worldview, right? You're not the poop of the universe. You're the elite of the universe, but like 11 million years ago, right? So, even the worst human being today is still an elite monkey 11 million years ago. Just if you think of it that way, right? It's an empowering worldview, dude. Become ennobled. It's ennobling. To dude, I was like 11 million years ago. I was a monkey with a damn monocle, dude, and a freaking top hat, dude. I was elite. You have no idea how badass monkey I was. Like, top tier. Dude, I was like above Harambe tier. I was a Harambe 5,000, 11 million. You have no idea. You have no idea. Think how fortunate we are to be part of that three and a half billion year long chain. We're so fortunate. We are an integral link in that. What could be more uplifting than that? I, I told you. What did I tell you? It was going to be spun as this uplifting. It's like a preacher, right? Like a like an atheist preacher speech. Uh, what if I came out and I just gave a banger of a motivational speech and talked about how awesome it is to be monkey? <laughs> but there goes more than that we have big brains we do Whoa, many different things big brain look at the big brains on michael <laughs> getting our genes into the next generation well look at the big brains on Shermer. right so i had to i had to throw in a pulp fiction line there with him saying that that was unavoidable patient and in fact, there's a science that studied. Dude, when I was a monkey, I ate Big Kahuna Burger every day, dude. Is this? That is what makes people happy, fulfilled, and feeling like they have purpose. There are four things you can do. One, deep love, family commitment, commitment to another person. Why, dude? What are you talking about? Seriously? This is a motivational dude. This is secret level shit. I just realized that when we were just making fun, he was making fun of the secret and he's given a motivational speech like freaking Norman Vincent Peale or Tony Robbins or some shit literally at that level, dude, this is secret level motivational speech at the same time as trying to make fun of people that believe in purpose in the universe <laughs> man i feel 
I feel sorry for people. I mean, can you imagine falling for this, this speech? This is such bullshit, dude. This is such a, a sales pitch. Like, you can't see through this. This is ridiculous. Like, while if the atheist worldview is true, all the shit he's saying is totally meaningless. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. It's nothing. <laughs> Even a person of the same gender, by the way. And that's okay. Uh, oh, by the way, let me show you how uh, liberal I am, by the way. Signal, signal. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know uh, if this... So, not one single argument, all rhetoric, all pr like a freaking weird motivational speech. And I, so, what do we see? Once again, the atheist crowd is zero logic, zero argumentation. <laughs> Really, the only one of this crew that we've investigated yet is Hitchens. Hitchens is the only one that's at least had some arguments. The rest of it has just been terrible. I mean, just like... I mean, if I brought this stuff to a debate, I would be embarrassed, dude. This is embarrassing. This is an issue in Mexico, but it's a big issue in the United States. Okay, so they're in Mexico. To think that you would condemn somebody for their nature... And, de and deny them. Oh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Michael. Uh, we don't discard people for their, quote, nature. Well, first of all, actions aren't identical to nature. Now you're appealing to uh, metaphysical principles once again. And by the way, what's another fallacy that you may or may not be aware of? Appeal to nature. This is a very common especially amongst this crowd of people, right? This scientism crew, do they make this, they do this fallacy like every time they talk. Okay. We've, we've heard uh, at least three fallacies here. I actually appeal to emotion. He did appeal to emotion too. So uh, let me note that one. I mean, I want you guys to understand that you can't do a debate. There's no such thing as debate that doesn't have the assumption or utilization of the laws of logic. There's no, it doesn't exist. There's, there's literally no such thing as debating or having a debate or the possibility of debate that doesn't use the laws of logic and doesn't agree and know and understand that you can't commit fallacies. Do you guys all understand why that's the case, right? Because if you could make fallacies in a debate, commit them, then you couldn't debate because there would be no rules to point out, oh, that's an invalid move. You can't make that move, dude, right? It's like doing, it's like playing chess, right? Like, oh, we're going to play chess, but we're going to make up new rules, right? <laughs> so the, the queen is like, uh, literally just like can only move, move, every piece can move one step. Uh, and if you kill one character in chess, they're all gone. Like, what? This is ridiculous, right? How, could you, you couldn't play chess without the rules of chess. Duh. So you can't debate without the rules of debate. And like, this is 
this is obvious. Okay, this is not possible. Is it, I mean, it, it, imagine if I just came to the debate, right? Well, JF did this, right? I, I don't have to accept uh, the loss of logic. I don't believe in those. But I'm here to debate. What? <laughs> it's, it's laughable, right? It's like, remember the vegan atheist from a few months ago who literally said that there's nothing wrong with uh, fallacies. You, you can commit any informal fallacy you want in a debate and you, you can still win. What? I mean, it, it's so dumb and so absurd that it doesn't even deserve a response, right? So the, the reason I'm saying all of that, guys, is to say, look, what passes for debate, this kind of stuff, is sad because it's not a debate. This is just rhetoric and motivational speeches and marketing, really. Entertainment, maybe? It's not very entertaining. I mean, the, the TV show itself like, has all the smoke and mirrors and shit. So maybe that maybe in that way, it's if you like smoke and mirrors and light shows, right? Uh, maybe you go find, uh, you know, Joel Osteen's church or megachurch or something. That, maybe that's the church for you. But <laughs> this is just so sad. Like, it's not even. It's the equivalent of people that think. Uh, uh, what's the worst pop star? What's the worst pop music? That that's like badass music, right? Who's the worst? I don't know. I don't even know the pop stars. Who's the worst pop star? <laughs> Who's the least talented of all the pop stars? Um, I don't know. Pick the worst. Just like musical junk food, right? And imagine thinking, dude, that is killer level music. That is like music theory meta level man right it's true that some things change as we get older but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia brain fog moodiness and weight gain you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging and with midi health you can get help and stop pushing through it alone the experts at midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause and midi can help you feel more like yourself again Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It would be absurd. And if, if you are aware right, of the basic fallacies and to hear this six-minute motivational speech from Michael Shermer, fallacy, fallacy, fallacy of association, appeal to nature, appeal to motion. Just saying, well, we all know that this is natural. right? Well, such and such is natural. That's called the appeal to nature, Allison. Give them the opportunity for deep love and marriage just because they're different from you. How unchristian is that? And yet that is the position they take. Thank you, uh, Dr. Shermer, who is not a Christian, but is going to tell us what Christian theology is. Thank you. Appreciate that. I, we, we, we all should listen to this person who has no competency in philosophy and logic to tell us the nuances of theology. Yes, definitely. It's time to pack it up, guys. <laughs> Two, meaningful work and career. That is doing something productive. Makes people feel fulfilled, happy, and have a sense of... Per- right, this is terrible. Let's skip Have inside of us... Other people... Ne- down to this, the sip. All right, I don't know who's next. Let's see. Is this Mr. of Space? I think that it is wonderful and intriguing that we have such tremendous, brilliant energy, all devoted to explaining why we have no purpose. Do we? Well, yeah. When is the brilliant energy showing up? I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. And I want to present the possibility that we do. First of all, not only because this world, this universe, because remember, the question is not do you have a purpose, but does the... Okay, so apparently this was a little mistitled because this isn't actually a debate between Richard Dawkins and William Lane Craig. This is uh, six different pop stars of pseudo-academic philosophy and debate uh, plugging their shit for five minutes. Universe have a purpose. Not only because this universe is balanced on a knife edge, there are all the cosmological constants, which if you changed even by a fraction. So, whoosh. <laughs> uh, William Lane Craig, Douglas Dennett, and Rabbi David Wolpe versus Prince of Space, Richard Dawkins, Matt Ridley, and Michael Shermer. And Michio Kaku is in purple because he represents 
the mystical science fiction middle position, <laughs> I guess. Right. Cause a, a bunch of, if you just say a bunch of quantum bullshit, right. Then like you can kind of have a mediating ground between these two positions. Would plunge us into darkness forever. Not only because the universe is so finely tuned and finely designed, but because all of you, all of us have inside of us this remarkable mechanism that is able to comprehend the mechanisms of the universe. Because you can, with your mind, embrace that which is larger than you, than your life, than this world. Because your mind can actually discover the laws that operate the universe. Steven Weinberg, the physicist who would be sitting on this side of the table or of the boxing ring where he here, said, the more we comprehend the universe, the more me... You know, I really get tired of, of this line of argument. Here's Prince of Space, by the way. It actually does look like Michio Kaku. <laughs> I didn't even remember that the guy. I guess he's the villain in Prince of Space. He actually does look like Michio Kaku. Uh, I don't know. But what were we talking about? Oh, fine-tuning. Oh, everybody wants to play this game of like who can tally up the most number of scientists on their side. <laughs> like, oh yeah, atheists? Well, I, my cousin knows a dude who's a biologist and he's a theist. Boom, right? My friend tallied up 25 scientists who believe in intelligent design, dude. So, I mean, so what? <laughs> It, it wouldn't matter. I mean, I know that there's like a little bit of a, you know, rhetorical pragmatic use in pointing out that there are many scientists who believe in God. Okay, sure. But uh, so what? It wouldn't matter if every scientist in the world was an atheist. Literally. Right. So again, this is a lot of rhetoric. Uh, terrible presentation. This is garbage juice, dude. This whole thing is, I'm getting mad now. This is garbage meaningless it seems but of course that's almost a contradiction because you can't comprehend it if it's meaningless nonsense can't be comprehended only meaning and order and purpose can be understood and this is an decent line of argumentation i mean um i didn't expect i'm guessing i don't know who this is rabbi Wolpe, um to make an argument about meaning uh, you can make a transcendental argument about meaning, uh, which I don't know if that's the route he's going, but uh, this is the first decent line of argumentation so far in this debate. The very endeavor of science is about the idea that the world is about something. If it's not... Correct. Uh, this is an almost quasi-transcendental type of argument. I'm not saying it's a transcendental argument. I'm just saying it's... It's a better uh, uh, line of argumentation than I've heard so far in this garbage juice smoothie debate. About anything, then how could we study it? How could we understand it? And that leads, of course, to the third point. In addition to the fact that the world is fine-tuned, that we can understand it, it is that the world operates according to laws. 
And that's an astonishing thing that we are so used to that we don't realize how amazing it is that the world operates according to fixed laws. That alone should awaken our wonder. And wonder is a critical part of what we have to understand about this debate. Yesterday, we heard an erudite, entertaining, and combative talk from Professor Dawkins that proved that religion does not work according to the canons of science. And Michael Sherman got up and said, where is the evidence? If you would regrow a limb, I would believe it, as though, again, religion is supposed to operate like science. But I want to remind you that science is not the only mode of knowing. It's not the only paradigm for understanding. In fact, everybody here, in that which matters most to you in your life, relies on something other than science. Why do you get up in the morning? Is life worth living? Whom do you choose to love? And why do you believe love matters? Those are not scientific questions, and yet you live your life by those questions. We shouldn't think that if you can't put it in a test tube or you can't see it in a microscope or you can't spot it in a telescope, then it doesn't matter and it doesn't exist. We live our lives by intangibles, That's by true. poetry, yeah. this is a by love, better by, line dreams, of by aspiration. And these things are not susceptible to repeat experiments, to disproof. Now, this is the irony here. I'm, I, I don't know who this is. I'm assuming this is Rabbi Wulpi. Uh, Rabbi Wulpi's line of argumentation is better than William Lane Craig's line of argumentation. <laughs> I'm not kidding either. Like I'm being objective. I'm not saying that this means that I'm going to convert to Rabbi Wulpi's Judaism. I'm saying that this is a better line of argumentation than anything else I've heard in this garbage juice debate. When we talk about whether the universe has a purpose, you can't locate that simply by doing astrophysical experiments. That's not how you find whether the universe has a purpose. Now, you might say the universe has a purpose the way the kitchen has a meal. That is, it contains all the ingredients you need. Okay, yeah. But we're not asking if the universe has purposes. We agree to that. We're asking whether the universe has a purpose. Yes, this is correct. This is actually kind of getting at the line of argument that I was doing in that the two pyramids, right? The bottom up emergent self-organizing principle of meaning, which is nonsensical, or the top down ordering principle of meaning, which gives you a way to classify all things under an overriding principle of meaning that also then gives you a basis to say that there's uh, uh, mutation that there's uh, chance right so you can't have an all or, like if you have a universe where you do accept uh, chance or um, mutation or chaos or whatever like you can't have that as the sole principle right because then you will lose all possibility of meaning and you can't have that without also the corollary, corollary to the, the, the correlation of the order that gives that, that you set the, the disorder off against. Literally, you can't. I mean, it's just a, a really kind of a basic philosophical point there. This goes back to, to Aristotle. Father Deacon has some uh, really good points about this from Aristotle. Um, and the same is true. Van Til made this argument about statistics that 
randomness and chance couldn't even exist in terms of statistics if there wasn't an overriding principle of origin. Uh, principle of order, excuse me. Uh, and I think that's true. And so uh, that seems to be where he's taking this line of argument. And as my colleague said, in order to believe that, you have to believe that the universe has a purposer, somebody who generates that purpose. And we may not know what the purpose is, and we may never understand it. Now, here he just collapsed this whole argument, right? So <laughs> this was actually going in a decent line of presuppositional critique. And then he, then he kills his own argument by saying, but we don't know even if we can know this purposer. And we don't even know ultimately if we know his purpose. But at least if there is a designer, there could be. A, I mean, this is just terrible, right? So now we, it, and this is why if we do want to use teleology or cosmology, then the better way to do it is to make them as a transcendental version of the teleological or cosmological argument. Yes, you can turn those into tag. Did you know? Did you know you can turn telos and causation into a version of the transcendental argument? Yes. Does that mean I'm making a teleological argument? Well, Kinda. I'm making a presuppositional transcendental argument that uses teleology or causation. And that's a better argument than these goofy telos causation enlightenment era arguments. But remember, experiments are not the only ways of understanding. And here, I want to take the motto of this conference and I want to extend it a little bit and suggest to you that you consider it carefully. The motto of the conference is don't believe everything you think. Don't believe the hype. And I think that makes sense because sometimes, just sometimes, about the central questions of life, you should believe what you believe. So again, this started out really good. Now it feels like it's turning into a motivational speech, like a self-help sermon. Believe what you believe. What? Is this Dalai Lama? Is this the Sphinx? What does that mean? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that was, as weak as that was, it was still better than anything we've heard so far. But, jeez. Mm. I'm guessing Dawkins comes up now. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I can sit through all of these people. This is this is straining patience. Um, we do have a lot of super chats. Now, we got uh, Prince of Space coming up soon, too. But uh, he comes up, well, this is almost two hours. So maybe we'll get some, some like, hot take sci-fi shit coming in with Michio Kaku, right? Maybe he's going to tell us how to step into a damn wormhole, right? And come out the other side of the galaxy and become our own gods, dude. Wouldn't that be badass, right? Wouldn't that be wouldn't that be bad? Like we got on one side the 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 god boys and we got the devil boys on the other side. And what if we could all just come together and step into a damn wormhole? And then when we came outside the other end of the universe in the multiverse, we could all be our own god of our own universe, dude. Imagine that. What if that was the reality? Maybe 
maybe Michio can bring that to the table. I'll tell you what, Michio, if you produce a wormhole that I could step through and become my own sci-fi god, then I'll believe in science. Produce a wormhole right here in front of me that's pink and swirling and sparkly, and I will believe in science. How's that? Richard Dawkins, please to the ring. Get your soy face ready. Here comes the master. Well, of course, I'm over here. I'm just trying to suck the last drip of blood from the baby bottle. <laughs> He's drinking a baby bottle with baby's blood in it. Right, and he wanted to suck the last drop of blood out before he came on to ah. <laughs> That hurt <coughs> my throat to do that. <coughs> my soy face. My colleague, Peter Atkins, mm. whose works I recommend to you, I think that it's high time that a sign... I am a vampire. I just wanted to suckle the last drop of life from the baby bottle I suckled before this conference, which was filled with baby's blood. Scientist won the Nobel Prize for Literature. I was I was doing a seance and calling upon my mentor and my patron, Lord Vlad the Impaler, and he gave me some good scientific arguments before the debate. And Peter Atkins would be my nominee for that. He was once invited to give a lecture in Windsor Castle, which, as you know, is one of the homes of the British monarch. Oh. And at the end of... We have some wonderful, wonderful, delightful, delectable rituals underneath Windsor Castle. Yes, 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 my lord. Windsor Castle. You must, you must all... Come visit sometime on the winter solstice, perhaps. We shall find you there. Look for me in a purple robe. <sighs> His lecture, Prince Philip said, You scientists are awfully good at answering the how questions, but what about the why question? And Peter Atkins said, Sir, the why question. Dude, this, this guy is just cringe. Like, just him talking. It's like, you feel like you're hearing some dark lord speak is just a silly question <laughs> we humans are obsessed with purpose it seems perfectly natural when we're presented with an object to say what's it for it starts in childhood uh, the psychologist deborah kellerman has investigated this very interestingly with children offering them a question like what? Yes, I love, I love stories of children. <sighs> Why do you think these rocks are pointy? Is it because of some uh, geological explanation, geological cause? Or is it so that animals could scratch on them when they get itchy? And below a certain age, I think it's about six, most children answer with the teleological answer, answer with the, the purpose question. Ah, yes, you see, at the last conference at Windsor Castle, ah, here's a photo uh, of our conference. Ah! Yes, 
They're pointy so that animals can scratch on them when they get itchy. Children then mostly grow out of that purposive way of looking at the world, but not apparently everybody. religionist, you're a child. Religious children. I love your children, by the way. In medieval times, I was about to try to work this. Who's good with iPads? I'm trying to get... Oh, here we are. Okay. In medieval times... By the way, that's utterly ridiculous, too, by the way. Right. So, asking the question why, looking for purpose, is means that you are a child. Like, that's child thinking. Like, this is literally low-tier, basic bitch-level emotional appeal, right? I mean, just the just the most stupid rhetorical-level thing. Um, basically, he's saying, uh, I, I'm not going to look for purpose in the world because I'm not a child. If you look for purpose, you're a child. That's That was his argument. Uh divines would look at living things and see purpose for human benefit in them. In the 19th century, the Reverend William Paley thought that the louse was an indispensable incentive to cleanliness. Savage beasts, according to an Elizabethan bishop, fostered human courage and provided useful training for war. Horseflies, for an 18th century writer, were created so that men should exercise their wits and industry to guard themselves against them. Lobsters were given hard shells so that before eating them, we could benefit from the improving exercise of cracking their claws. Another medieval writer thought that weeds were there to benefit us. It's so good for our spirit to have to work hard pulling them up. Now, it's not difficult to see that such people would also have found purpose in the physical world, in, in mountains. What's the purpose of a mountain? What's the purpose of a stream? We humans love to see purpose everywhere. And it's one of the great achievements of science. I think especially Darwin, but other scientists as well, to show that the impulse that we have to see purpose in anything doesn't work. And he did it not with the easy things like mountains. I mean, essentially, any fool can see that mountains don't have a purpose. He did it with living things. And living things on the face of it have purpose written all over them. We look at a bird's wing, an engineer looks at a bird's wing, an albatross wing, say, and sees that it's perfectly designed for... Uh, I was actually looking for... I can't find it. There, I know that there's articles uh, probably 10 years ago. Remember when Dawkins said that he thinks it's plausible that aliens put us here, right? So he was he was uh, hyping and shilling for panspermia bullshit. Uh, and now I can't find it because it was, you know, like 10 years ago. But I assume everybody remembers this, right? And he's also talked about, like, <laughs> cannibalism is not not that problematic in right? other things are not that problematic. Right. So, I mean, now wait a minute. Uh, God's existence is absurd, but alien panspermia is not right. Uh, the particular way of, if anybody can find, by the way, his old articles or the articles talking about him saying that alien life is plausible panspermia or whatever. 
Uh, put it in the chat. I can't. Find that albatrosses have. Swifts have a different way. You look at an eye. You look at a heart. You look at a kidney. Everything looks designed. The Reverend William Paley himself, uh, who was one of the earliest, uh, one of the most coherent, I should say, um, advocates of this point of view, elevated the living world as being the most important place where you can find evidence for, as he thought. Now here, let's see. This looks like a video about panspermia let's see if this is it uh this was this might be it because this is about 10 years ago here so here's dawkins let's see what he says can i just take up the uh, the point about panspermia so the, if you can't hear it the question the question is what about panspermia and crick right because crick of watson and crick fame right right he's one of the famous uh, panspermia proponents uh, that we're seeded by the aliens, right? Um, or that we uh, came here from some, uh, you know, distant planet or whatever. Let's see what Dawkins says. But, uh, spectroscopic studies have identified an awful lot of organic molecules out there in space. I'm not sure what I mean by that, but I think you do. Um, what, what conclusions, I mean, can we draw any conclusions from that except there's some soup of babies right? baby guts floating around that's my favorite soup organic chemicals that becomes an easy thing to postulate because there are organic chemicals all over the universe it still remains difficult to postulate the origin of life which is the origin of the first self-replicating uh, molecule but all right so that doesn't really um here he says i'm accused of promoting panspermia uh, how did that start? So apparently he he just says that it's possible. Uh, but I know there's a thing about him saying, oh yeah, he said, here it is, 2014. Uh, Dawkins says that alien, the, an alien origin for life is an intriguing possibility. Uh, anyway, that doesn't matter. Who cares what he thinks about it? The point is just that he'll, he'll say aliens are, are rational, but God's existence isn't. A deity. He don't look at astronomy, he said, look at living things. But what Darwin did was to show that even the worst case, even the most difficult case, that's the living case, has a perfectly rational, simple explanation. You do not need to resort to the idea of a designer. That was an astonishing intellectual achievement. Something as complicated as an eye, something as complicated as a heart, even a brain. Who would have thought 
that by the laws of physics, unaided, unviolated, just filtered through this brilliant process of natural selection, evolution by natural selection, that the blind laws of physics could produce the illusion of design. Um, this is another move that you hear these people make, which is they'll do this thing where they say, uh, centuries ago, we thought that uh, Bishop Butler uh, argued for design and the, the complexity of life required that there be some highly intelligent designer. We now know. 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 The we now know move. We now know move. And by the way, pay attention if you listen to a lot of these people in their debates. Uh, I think we saw Hitchens do this. I think we saw Harris do it too. <coughs> the we now know. You just sort of fly past any actual proof of the we now know. And you just say, we now know. This constitutes an argument, apparently, right? You just say, we now know, right? Uh, we used to believe that God exists. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. We now know that, that it doesn't. <laughs> Case closed. It's over, dude. Boom. Debate over, right? We now know. I notice how many times they'll just, they just breeze past it. Well, well we now know. We now know. It says who? What? And by the way, the same guys that say we now know will also within 10 years reverse their positions on the previous we now know. I'm not joking. There's Dawkins is on tape doing this where he said, and I've pointed out many, many times, right? Our rest in peace. Our friend Chris many, many years ago pointed this out. Um, he used to have the clip. I don't know if the clip is still on YouTube or not, but uh, the junk DNA mistake, right? Dawkins said, 10 years ago, we now know, I'm not joking, we now know that junk DNA is one of the greatest proofs for evolutionary theory. 10 years later, fast forward, people put the clip right next to that. We now know that there is no junk DNA, and this is one of the greatest proofs of evolution, that there is no junk DNA. And I've always said that. 
what? <laughs> right? Just total bullshit. Right? But if you are an emissary of the establishment uh, at a fairly high level, as many of these Royal Society goons are, um, you can, you're propped up by the system, the, 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 the establishment. You've got the entire weight of the system and the establishment behind you. And remember, they figured out 100 years ago, and probably longer than that, right, that, that you could be given pop science guys, right? You could be given fake scions of science. And they, they could take a dude, I'm not kidding, in terms of psychological warfare, social engineering, propaganda, they could take a dude off the street, a bum, right, with freaking, with, with damn stovetop stuffing in his beard, with yellow stains from the freaking Viceroy cigarettes, just dripping with sweat and stank, right? And if they told you that he was the next Einstein, you would believe it. Right. People will believe it. Just it doesn't even matter. Like you don't even have just if this if some if someone in this that the media, some documentary, says, uh, soup can Sam is the greatest scientist of all time. Look at his straggly hair and look at that freaking beard. People will believe it. Yes, absolutely, he was. There's no doubt about it. Don't ever question it. <laughs> as complicated and as persuasive as we see in the living world. Well, our colleagues on the other side have probably mostly given up on the living world. That was their happy hunting ground. That was the best place for them to operate, as Paley recognized. So they've been forced back now into places like the origin of the cosmos, the origin of the universe. And they like to point to the origin of the universe and say, well, science can't explain the Big Bang, or science can't explain where the laws of physics come from. Physicists are working on that. That's what scientists do. They don't lie down and pathetically say, oh, we don't understand it, so God did it. Scientists actually work on the problem. They set to work, they roll up their sleeves, and they work on the problem. One day, physics will answer those deep questions. And even if it doesn't, even if physics doesn't answer those questions, what on earth makes you think that religion can? Thank you very much. Um, well, man, this is literally the worst debate. Now, I picked this because it had, uh, I don't know, 3 million views, 2.7 million views. And I thought this was, it was presented, billed as a debate between Dawkins and William Craig. Uh, but it's just... Uh, a cameo of a bunch of people talking for five minutes, shilling their book. So I apologize that this wasn't actually a debate. However, we have had a lot of fun here tonight. Um, do we need to hear Prince of Space? Do you guys want to hear uh, Prince of Space do his shtick? Or are we done? What do you think? Uh, I, you know what? I want to hear what what he says. Because that dude's a damn ninja. He's a science ninja, dude. Do you know that? And maybe he'll produce a wormhole and prove science to me. Maybe. My neck hurts. I, I, I did too much hooting and hollering and acting like a buffoon. A baboon buffoon. Now my neck muscles are pulled. Um... 
Douglas Gowick, please to the ring. <laughs> go, you got to go see the video of this. I'm not joking. Like, watch the first five minutes and you and look how they did all this smoke and mirrors, and it looks like you know, it looks like American Gladiators, and they have a ring. <laughs> so, with Dawkins comes and stands in a ring with a podium. This is so ridiculous. Y buenos días, Puebla. Me da mucho gusto estar aquí con ustedes, platicando en poquito español y participando en este debate. What is happening? Prefiero hablar en español, what? pero es mejor para... Okay, whatever, dude. The argument from the possibility of God's okay, existence. so we got more David Wolpe's WLC. argument. WLC, let's see. Dieron su punto de vista, pero ahora hay que rebatir el like punto de vista del otro. More suerte, you like more chiefs. Wide agreement among us on the two contentions that we said we would defend. First, that if God does not exist, then there is no purpose for the universe. And our colleagues seem. Yeah, by the way, so uh, what was Dawkins' uh, great apologetic lecture? Uh, if science is limited in its explanation, then how much more is religion limited? Yeah, that's, that's a garbage argument. We agree with that. Secondly, <laughs> on the other end, if. <clears throat> the question isn't about the limitations of uh, data and knowledge. The question is about, ultimately, the bases for knowledge at all. That's the real locus of the debate. So to let Richard Dawkins just recast the whole debate as a, this is the, remember the false humility move? Uh, I, I don't even know if science is correct in all of its claims and that's why science has humility but you religionists claim to know universal truths and uh sounds to me like you guys have a pride problem right this false humility as if they are just making these you know very very you know um hesitant uh, intellectually limited claims total baloney right total baloney because again, the, the the question at root in this debate is over grand metaphysical things that are being appealed to, principles, categories, and whether those appeals make sense in the different paradigms. Right? And and unfortunately, none of these debaters has really seen that that's actually what the debate is. So it's been a terrible debate. It's been a. The God I mean, maybe that's why. I mean, the fact that it's literally displayed like an American Gladiators Japanese game show presentation. I'm not joking. Go watch the video. Uh, that alone, I guess, should have told me that this is like, this is just like, I feel like I'm just critiquing commercials, right? I'm, I'm critiquing each person's five minute shilling speech for their stupid book. If biblical theism does exist, then clearly there is a purpose for universe and for life. And that's found in relationship with God. Yes, I realized that they're in Mexico after an hour of this because somebody mentioned it. Uh, but I, just to me, it looked like just like a damn Brazilian Japanese TV show. <laughs> the question then is, have the two sides presented arguments in ep We have, have like the loser like slides down a slide <laughs> like into a giant pool. like, And then they have to have like a, a squirt gun battle with a bunch of bikini Japanese girls, right? And then they have to run through... Uh, uh, like a demolition maze or something like that. That would have been a lot more interesting to see, you know, uh, 
William Lane Craig fighting against Ice and Fox and Fizz or whatever the you, you remember the American Gladiators names, right? Like William Lane Craig's got a big, big that big Q-tip that they would fight with, and you got to knock them off of the log that you walk on. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Evidence for or against the existence of God. Now, so far as I can see, all I've heard from the atheist side is the argument from evil, which I answered and has yet to be replied to. We heard an argument from evolutionary development, but that obviously doesn't prove that God is not the supervisor who created life through evolution. That doesn't in any way prove atheism. Um, I haven't seen any other argument for atheism in tonight's debate. Well, that's true. So there while been we arguments. can agree that if God does not exist. So finally, William Lane Craig makes an argument that's at least somewhat solid, which is to say that the propagandists who have been talking about atheism haven't made any arguments yet in this debate. <laughs> uh, yes, that's correct. The, we'll give him a point for that. Life has no purpose. We've not heard any good or compelling evidence for the antecedent of that conditional, that God does not exist. By contrast, I think we've heard uh, 10 arguments that I list uh, for the existence of God. The argument from why anything exists rather than nothing, the argument from the beginning of the universe, the argument from the fine-tuning of the universe for life, the argument from objective moral values, the argument from the possibility of God's existence, David Wolpe's argument from the comprehensibility of the universe, number eight, the argument from the law-like structure of the universe, Number nine, Doug Guyvett's argument from the nature of existential choice. And finally, number 10, the very nature of, the hum of human beings is capable of asking questions of, of purpose. All of these, I think, constitute a powerful cumulative case for thinking that there is a transcendent creator and designer of the universe who is the locus of absolute moral goodness and in relationship with whom we can find the purpose and meaning of the universe. I think the most reprehensible position represented in tonight's debate is Richard Dawkins' claim that why questions are just silly. These are the deepest existential questions that human beings can ask, and refuse to refuse to ask such why questions is to reduce human beings to mere animals, which is, of course, exactly what Professor Dawkins believes. We're just animated chunks of matter in motion. Uh, love, questions of meaning, and so forth, they're all ultimately just spin-offs of the blind bioevolutionary process. But if God exists, then clearly these are meaningful questions. These are vital questions for the nature of human existence and destiny. The tragedy would be that if God does exist and you miss his purpose for your life because you think these are silly questions and therefore don't need to think about them would be the ultimate tragedy. Ooh, that, was, that was laser level right there, right? That was straight up laser. Much. Right. I mean, does nobody remember American Gladiators? Is this, is this just mean I'm old, I guess? Uh, who would win, by the way? Would Daw could Dawkins beat? Uh, wouldn't I mean? Wouldn't he? He should just he should demonstrate his evolutionary fittest superiority by fighting William Lane Craig with the Q-tips from American Gladiators, right? Then I would believe atheism. That would be. That would definitely be sufficient enough proof for me that he is uh, evolutionarily superior, right? Or, or, 
would laser win? Right? Remember? Remember laser? <laughs> Remember all of these weirdos? Uh, Fox, Iceman, Fizz, Sweat, Squeeze. Remember Stain? Stain was my favorite. What about Lace? You guys remember Lace? She was hottie, wasn't she? Lace. I'm joking. I'm making these up, by the way. I don't know who they are. Uh, apparently, there was one called Laser, though. All right, so we're going to give this debate to Laser. Laser wins the William Lane Craig, William Zawkins debate because he is definitely a evolutionarily fit future man. He will go into the future. Also, perhaps this guy could win as well. We'll give him a runner-up. I don't know his name, but you guys... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm sure being the creative savants that you are, all you guys could come up with a good name for this chap. He also wins the, the debate. So, so there we go. The winner tonight was actually just American Gladiators. So shocker, surprise, threw you guys for a twist. Um, the actual debaters all lose, and they all go into the pit, right, where you have to squirt cheese whiz on everyone else in the debate. Uh, we're done. I'm done. This is dumb. This was a terrible debate. One of the worst that we've heard so far. Uh, very entertaining though, at least for me. So. Uh, laser wins laser and his close friend here wins this debate shell no not shell no who's first by the way we had a guy from yesterday whose super chat came through late alt monarch is for 222 he says as a russian i do not recommend eastern promises it's a horrible western film about the russian crime world now wait a minute uh it made the it's ukrainian so, as a Russian, it's talking about the uh, Voy, Voy, what's it called? What's the Ukrainian mafia called? It's not, do you remember? It's not, it's saying the Ukrainian mafia is bad. And the Vigo character 
is an undercover FSB guy. So he's the good guy. So uh, did you miss? I'm not being a jerk. I'm just saying, did you miss that <clears throat> the Vigo character is a good guy? Uh, and that the, the criminals are the, what's the Ukrainian? I, I read that when I watched the movie, I read all about this. They have a, it's a weird V name. The Ukrainian mafia is called the Voya Krasi, Voya, I can't think of the name. Voy. I just looked this up. It's on Wikipedia. It's not like, it's not even a theory. People in the chat will know before I can even find it. What's the name of the V word of the Ukrainian mafia? Anyway, that's what the movie's about. Is that it's not about the Russian mafia. Uh, now, and I found a good article too, and it was talking about what that movie is based on. It is. I don't know. I keep getting garbage articles. Guys, you know the, the name of this. Mark Hacker would know. Now the chat's behind. So can somebody tell me the V the V word or if, if of the Ukrainian mafia? Voizakrazi, Voya. They get this. They get certain tattoos. Vorvakone, Vazakone. It's something like that. Vor, Vorvakone. I think that's it. Drives me crazy if until I can't get it. No, that's not it. Voltron. It's Voltron. Correct. It's definitely Voltron. It's not Brothva. Somebody please <laughs> provide the name of the Ukrainian mafia. It's the, the dudes that get all the tattoos, right? They get their whole tattoo, their whole life tattooed on their body and they get a certain tattoo on their knees. Remember that? They get tattooed. I looked that up. That's true. Supposedly, right? They get the tattoo, the tattoo on their knee and it's VZ something. I don't know. Anyway, let's move on. By the time I move on, somebody will find it. Uh, Panos, $5. She says, who would have thought that the most illustrious, well-known well-renowned atheist of our time would be savagely refuted by a spurging out dude in a golden girls dude that actually makes the most sense i'm not kidding the world is so crazy that it's actually perfectly logical and rational that richard dawkins would be demolished by a spurred out bro in a golden girl shirt behind a montage of American gladiators because I'm the American gladiator, dude. I'm laser. I'm Iceman. I'm Fizz. I'm Squirt, right? That's my American gladiator name. All of those at once and none of those at once. But that is perfectly logical in the crazy world that we live in. Duh. 
Hornmora. So this is a Nordic dude. Here we got a Viking in the chat. What's up? Shout out to my Viking Valpurgis knocked people. I'm joking. I'm joking. All them Viking bands we we're making fun of. Thank you for the free content. Well, thank you. It's not free because you just paid 20 bucks for it, dog. <laughs> Charlie Brown, $5. Thank you for your educational efforts. The effort is here. Whether there is education going on is up to you guys. That is up to you. Jimmy the Ubermensch. No, wait. Pisces. Stack some of those stats with this. Well, th thank you for that. So $3 will get me in 10 years, what, $30 worth of Bitcoin? Will will we 10x in 10 years? I mean, we'll 10x in at least 10 years. We'll 10x in five years for sure. We might 10x before that, right? Uh, but thank you for that. We'll definitely stack that third that those $3 and make them 30. Jimmy the Ubermensch, $5. What do you think of Young Earth? Uh, I favor Young Earth. How would you respond to those who say communism evolved from Christianity in Acts 5 and Mark 15, Mark 10? Um, so there's a lot of easy responses to this. First of all, Acts 5 was a period of the early church being founded and spreading. It is not the norm for the church in every age or in every period, nor is the phase of the church prior to the opening up of the covenant to the Gentiles, right? I mean, there's all kinds of things going on prior to Acts 10 that is not normative for the entire church period. Secondly, we have a model for Acts 5. It's called monasticism. <laughs> if people want to take up that type of lifestyle, they can still do it. But it's done voluntarily, right? Communism is crazy. Um, communism is a rejection of Christianity, right? But Christianity is not an egalitarian, liberal religion. It is neither egalitarian, nor is it elitist. Christianity has elements of both. It has hierarchy as well as elements of universality. So to say it's either or is really to arbitrarily put, pick certain elements of Christianity and say, oh, ah, Christianity, because it says give alms, all it is is egalitarianism. No, that's not true. Justin, $10. Thank you for this diverse amount of content. We do real diversity here, dog. We do. John Hoffman, $20. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, John Hoffman. Much appreciated. You are a true American gladiator. You are, uh, I'm going to give you your American gladiator name. Your name is um, Beefsteak. That's your American gladiator name. Michael's other brain cell, $25. Thank you so much. Strong request. Can you, can you take me higher? <clears throat> oh, as Jordan Peterson. Yes. <clears throat> Since you gave me $25, I have to do that. Absolutely. I am your performing monkey. <laughs> can you take... <clears throat> no, no. Can you take me higher? Can you take me higher? To a place... Where blind men see into the souls of their fathers and rescue the dragon. How's that? Ribranium. No, shell, 10 bucks. She says, nothing. But thank you for that shell. Well, shell could be a he. Could be a shell with a pee pee. And I just said shell was a she. I'm sorry. I don't know what you are. Ribranium, $5. Does the T movement in pop 
Does it tie to pop music or postmodernism? I think all of those are connected. Um, I have not done a deep dive into specifics, but I would venture to say yes. What are your thoughts on inversion? Uh, we've done many, many talks on inversion. Many, many talks. Uh, go back to the lecture that I did on creation and Irenaeus. Go back to uh, the critique we did of Gnosticism. Go back to the debate that I did with uh, the Gnostic boomer. I forget his name. The, the boomer dude who was <laughs> the Gnostic boomer debate. Um, I don't remember his name, but go back to that. <clears throat> but yes, we have covered that many times. Kane London, $5. <clears throat> it is funny that the atheist astrophysicists like Prince of Space, act like they are being objective when they are admitting that their scientific worldview is based on the Zohar. Does Michio Kaku admit that his worldview is based on the Kabbalah and Zohar? Now, I wouldn't be surprised because probably quantum foam does have origins in esoteric stuff. But yes, uh, Newton was into alchemy and Kabbalism. Daniel Bacon. That's a name right there. Six degrees of Kev. Daniel Bacon. Sup, there's a rumor going around that you were suckled by, by she-wolves. Yes, the rumor is true. Maybe you can clear that up. Yes, it's true. I cleared it up. $10 clears it up. You, you want to know what rumors are true? You send your you send your bucks and your crypto to your American gladiator right now. Beef. No, wait. Uh, fizz. I want to be Fizz. That's my, I don't know why, but my American Gladiator name is Fizz. You send me your, your dollars right now, I will clear up any rumor. What is the deal with the crackers in the pantry? Fallacy. Uh, go listen to the Bonson-Stein debate, and the first thing that Bonson outlines in that debate, which was a great preemptive move, uh, was the crackers in the pantry fallacy. <clears throat> Kane Leonard, again, $5. Can you explain the connection between the Gnostic theosophical worldview and the Big Bang evolution worldview. Well, the connection is just simply the ancient world. Uh, the ancient pagan religions, ancient Greek, ancient Egyptian, ancient Hindu, Indian philosophies were all evolutionary. Literally, all of them. I mean, there's differences, but... In essence, they were evolutionary worldviews. So the connection is that theosophy is just uh, Blavatsky creating her own cult and religion from an amalgamation of all the ancient cults. And newsflash, people that create cults just rip off and copy and paste from ancient religions. That's what they all do. Uh, well, Emmanuel, 10 bucks. I'm disappointed in the Roman Catholic Church and not very good at reading. I'm grateful for your videos. Oh, cool. Awesome. Glad I can be of help. While useful to make fun of bad arguments, I would caution making fun of people. Well, I'm sorry, but uh, it's it's not wrong to always make fun of people. Uh, it's not, uh, I mean, especially people that are exceptionally wicked. <clears throat> and the Bible many times calls these people fools. It actually mocks them, right? Elijah mocks the prophets of Baal. So, no, I don't feel bad about making jokes about Richard Dawkins. Um, it makes me feel bad as when I watch the daily show. No, I'm sorry. I just don't, I don't think that it's always wrong to engage in, 
uh, satire and that kind of stuff. So I disagree with you there, but I thank you for your comments and for your ten dollars. So uh, anyway, I got a show. I got to go to, go do a podcast. Thank you guys. A lot of fun tonight. Sorry that it, it wasn't a real debate. I didn't know what to expect, but that's part of the fun, right? It's like we're doing reaction videos, right? That one chick does reactions to pop music. She gets millions of views, right? We're doing reactions to millions of view debates that are terrible. Terrible. This was garbage juice debate. One of the worst. It wasn't even a debate, but it was fun. A lot of fun. And uh, please like. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.